You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. How are you all doing? Happy Friday to each and every one of you. Hope you're uh, clocking off of work or nearly there at least. Hope we'll uh, help you through the uh, last hour of the day in some cases and uh, set you up nicely for the weekend. No Arsenal action, of course, this weekend, but there is plenty of action to get your teeth into and we'll be uh, sharing with you the games that I would pick if I were you this weekend. So uh, yeah, going to look ahead to the weekend a little bit as well as discussing some of the latest Arsenal news. We're going to be reflecting on Mikel Arteta's interview, which he gave from Arsenal's Dubai training camp in which he discussed Arsenal's ambitions for the remainder of the season and just how confident he is that Arsenal can go on and achieve them. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the expected return of William Saliba. We'll be touching on Alex Lacazette's future and asking the question, who really cares about what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has had to say over the last couple of days? We'll be digging into that as well as taking your questions from the live chat box. Uh, big hello to every single one of you who is with us. I can see there are plenty of you in the chat. Uh, let's say a few hellos. Uh, big hello to Junior, to Brad, to the Arsenal granny, to Steve, uh, to Prince Will, to Raheel, to Arsenal granny, uh, to Moss, uh, Matt, Louis, all of you, uh, Hamoud Ziane, uh, Brad. I hope you're all good, guys. And um, thank you for being here, as always. OK, um, I just want to start off by apologising for the lack of a podcast yesterday. Uh, as some of you will have seen on social media, I was asked to go in and uh, and jump in the hot seat along uh, a fantastic broadcaster and a really, really good friend, Adi Oladipo, on TalkSport 2's The Social. And I'll be back there next week as well, uh, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Did manage to upload a couple of clips from that, uh, which you can find on the YouTube channel. They are exclusively on the YouTube channel. So if you are an audio listener, you won't have come across those. But if you jump over to YouTube, there's a couple of short-form clips uh, with some bits from uh, the conversations we had. And we talked everything. We talked Arsenal. We talked Lampard at Everton, we talked AFCON, Jesse Lingard, uh, and plenty, plenty more. So uh, lots to get your teeth into there. I do want to speak about the podcast a little bit later on as well, because I've been having some thoughts about the format and, and about various other bits and pieces uh, over the last sort of 24 hours or so. But as I always say, this podcast is yours. The podcast is what it is because you guys tune in uh, without fail daily. And, and that obviously means the world to me. So I don't want to do anything. I don't want to change anything without getting you guys' seal of approval. So I will be asking you a question uh, a little bit later on about the podcast. And if you could please uh, give me your response, it would be so, so appreciated and make my life in terms of thinking about things a lot easier. If you're not on Twitter, uh, you can um, email me. If you're uh, not on uh, any of those uh, platforms, you can, of course, reply in the YouTube comments, just depending on whatever works for you. But I really, really would love to hear from you uh, on that. OK, uh, let's get into it and let's start off by discussing Mikel Arteta's interview, which he gave at Arsenal's Dubai training camp. Now, he didn't specify 
we're going to finish in the top four or we want to finish in the top four. But he did say that the objectives are high. Um, and you'd assume, one would assume that given where Arsenal are at and given the position we find ourselves in uh, in early February, that top four is what Mikel Arteta and Arsenal are aiming for. That the top four feels like something that's achievable. It feels like it's something that's going to need us to be as close to perfect as possible. It's going to need us to be very efficient. It's going to mean that we can't afford to slip up very many times with a number of teams in the race. But obviously, as I always say, you've got to be aiming for your absolute maximum. You've got to be aiming to hit your ceiling. And I do believe that for this Arsenal side and for Mikel Arteta, a top four finish is that ceiling. So fingers crossed we can get that done. He was asked about how confident he is. Um, you know, in Arsenal achieving that. And he said very confident. And I guess, look, on the one hand, he's kind of got to say that, right? He wants these players to be bought in. He wants his players uh, to feel confident. He wants them to feel belief uh, coming from the sidelines. And I think he's got to say this to an extent. But I think what I've noticed over the last few days is the mood around Arsenal has really shifted. Now, going into the back end of the transfer window, there was this enormous pressure from us as a fan base, for Arsenal to go out and do business, for Arsenal to go out and bring in, in particular, a centre-forward. And we never got that done. It didn't happen. And the subsequent meltdown that followed that was a little bit over the top, in my opinion. And that is my opinion. There'll be people out there who will feel differently, and that's absolutely fine. You're entitled to your view, but my view is that the reaction to Arsenal not making a significant signing during the window was over the top. And I think what you've seen over the last few days is that soften. And I think what a lot of good people have done, a lot of people who have big voices, have big platforms in the Arsenal community, have come out and spoken about this in a far more measured way than, you know, than you kind of read or come across on something like Twitter. And it's really interesting to hear those people because I think when they break it down and when they you know, fill you in in the way that in an educated manner and in a calculated manner, I think most of us would agree that they actually have a point. You know, I don't want to go over it all over again because we've spoken about it time and time again. We've spoken about it on Lee Judges TV yesterday, last night, for those of you who tuned into that as well. It's a conversation that we've had so many times over the last few days. So as I said, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too far. But what I would say is that there's a clear plan. And there was something that Mikel Arteta said in his interview today, which kind of triggered me to think back to the transfer window and the lack of activity uh, and why we took the decisions that we did. And, and what Mikel Arteta said was when he was asked about the players that he brought in in the summer and how well they've done, he said that we identified very specifically the players we wanted. We identified the profiles both professionally and personally, which suggests as we've all come to kind of realise under Mikel Arteta, that character is just as important as talent, that character is just as important as ability, that he wants people in and around the club who are going to be uh, good examples, who are going to be fully committed and who have a certain persona that will help take Arsenal up to the next level. And unfortunately, over the years, this club has been riddled with the opposite of that. It's been riddled with players who came here thinking they were going to get a free ride, who performed from time to time, but were never held accountable and and often took huge pay packets without ever really uh, doing what was necessary. And some would think that that's a, 
an underhanded dig at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It's not. It really isn't because, you know, he, apart from the last year or so, he he was fantastic and there's no getting away from that. And I think at the time when he was given that bumper contract, there were very few Arsenal fans out there who felt that that was a mistake. Hindsight is a wonderful thing and we can all look back at it and say, well, you know, now looking at it, it was a bad decision. It was a bad call. But ultimately, ultimately, it feels as though um, Arsenal are trying to change that culture. Arsenal are trying to shift that culture. And so you can't have it both ways. You can't want that culture to be changed radically. And you can't want those types of characters to be weeded out of the squad and then throw your toys out of the pram every time Mikel Arteta has a clash with one of them and decides that their time at the club is up. So I think there's got to be a little bit of balance to this and there's got to be a little bit of an understanding. Um, Matt G says, I get that, Harry, but the more I read about Vlavic, the more I think he doesn't fit the character we're going for. So with Vlavic, I'm reluctant to pin that kind of uh, that opinion on him in terms of what his character is, because from what I see on the pitch and I only see what I see on the pitch, I think he's. He's a very good professional and I think he's somebody who really cares and, and really does give his all and has huge aspirations and ambitions. And I'm very confident he'll achieve those because I think he's he's a winner. I think what's happened with the Dusan Vlavic situation, and it's maybe painted the player in a bad picture, is that there's been some dishonesty and there's been some questionable behaviour from his representatives. And I think that has almost, uh, you know, it, it's it's scarred the Vlavic name a little bit. And look, he's not been perfect. He could have instructed them to do things differently. I always say this, like people always think that the agents call all of the shots. Well, ultimately, you know, those agents are employees of the player. So the player surely has the last say. The player surely can veto certain things, certain moves that the agents plan to make. But I think this is a young guy who made it clear to his representatives what he wanted. And that was a move to Juventus. And they've gone about achieving that for him and, and making that happen in a way that has upset Fiorentina and has upset a lot of Arsenal fans as well. So, again, look, I'm not saying he's perfect, but I, I don't know how much I can pin that on him. He will have, in my opinion, said, guys, I want to go uh, to Juventus. Get me there. And the agent, the representative, and this is particularly prevalent when you're talking about young players might have pushed back and said, well, this is the way we're going to do it. You trust us and we're going to get this done. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that it's it's difficult to say that he's not the right character based on that transfer alone, because I'm not sure how much of the in intricacies of it he was in control of. Um, and as some bloke says, if he'd had the single mindedness for Arsenal that he showed about Juventus, we'd have loved him. I think that's a good point as well. Uh, what else have we got? Um Let's see. I did see some really good comments. Uh, Mile High Guna, how you doing, mate? He says, I applaud that from Mikel Arteta. Culture uh, is a real thing. Uh, I saw one that was slightly disagreeing as well. And I just want to bring that up for the uh, interest of balance. Uh, there it is. Alex says, none of this matters. All it's going to take are a couple of injuries. And the top four isn't just a worry. So is fifth, sixth and seventh. Look, that's interesting. And I think, again, you know, I don't want to spend too long on this particular subject because, as I say, we've been over it time and time again. But it's a real concern. And I get it. We have left ourselves thin. And I think the Dubai training camp will do us good. 
I think the opportunity to train in warm weather is good um, and something that you should take. It helps with recovery. It helps with bonding in this case as well. And I think a really interesting point that Adrian Clark made on our show the other day, and if you haven't checked that out, uh, please do so. Adrian, join me to talk about all things Arsenal and all things uh, on the January transfer window. If you go back on the channel and on the podcast feed, you'll find that. He said, actually, sometimes having a smaller squad can lead to people feeling more engaged and a, a greater unity. And I think that's probably right, because I think although the, the obvious risk and the obvious bad side to it is that you are short of players and injuries can really have a big impact, the positive side is that you don't have people walking around the place who aren't involved and don't really stand a chance of being involved and therefore aren't as engaged as the rest. So I think that was a really, really interesting point made by Adrian. And it's a point that was made by somebody who's been in a dressing room and who's been, um, you know, in this kind of environment. You know, we're, we're fans and we watch on and we talk about it and we share our views and our opinions. But a lot of the time, uh, it's important that we do take some of this kind of inside knowledge from the people that have been there and done that. And, and we haven't at the end of the day. Uh, right. Before we move on, uh, I just want to wish uh, somebody uh, a very, very happy birthday. And you've probably seen this on Twitter because he's getting all kinds of love. Uh, but I just want to uh, say a big happy birthday to Arsenal hero, Kevin Campbell. Uh, he's been on this show on numerous occasions. I've had the pleasure of doing lots of other podcasts and lots of other bits and pieces with Kevin. And the reason I wanted to kind of take some time out to especially wish Kevin a happy birthday, aside from him being a, a brilliant guy, um, is that Kevin is someone that has become a friend. Um, and, and Kevin is someone who has always got time for the Arsenal fan base. And you can't say that about all ex-players. You know, I can say from sort of working into a position where I could do this kind of thing as a full-time job, I knocked on a lot of doors. I tried so, so hard to get interviews with ex-players. I, I even had some of them, and I, and I won't mention names, people that were my heroes who I met in the flesh and thought, you're not what I thought you were cracked up to be. Um, you know, there's there's ex-players out there who have given me an email address and said, yeah, get in touch. Let's do it. Let's do it on this day and on this time. And they've not turned up. There's others who have asked me for ridiculous amounts of money. And Kevin's done none of that. He's always been approachable. He's always had the door open for Arsenal fans. And you can see just by the sheer amount of, of different things he appears on that he's got time for everybody. Uh, and he's one of football's genuine nice guys. So I wanted to wish uh, Kevin a very, very happy birthday and uh, tell you if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Highbury Squad where Kevin is a resident pundit uh, alongside the brilliant Sophie Nicolau. And it's one of the best Arsenal podcasts out there. So please... Um, please do check that out as well. Okay, uh, what else uh, have we got on the agenda today? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about Arsenal's William Saliba. Now, there's been reports over the last few days uh, coming out from The Athletic, suggesting that William Saliba is expected to return to Arsenal this summer and compete for a first-team place. And I think when you consider we've allowed Pablo Marie to go out and he probably isn't going to return, if we're being honest, we've allowed Callum Chambers to go out as well on a permanent deal, it feels like, you know, Saliba's going to come back and be competing with Gabriel and Ben White. And that kind of, um, that kind of competition can only be a good thing. That kind of competition is only going to see us move up to the next level. And it's, that uh, we then have three very good, young, up-and-coming centre-halves um, 
you know, who have the world at their feet, have the physical attributes required to play in the Premier League, but also the technical attributes. And for all the, sh- the shit and criticism that Mikel Arteta got with regards to his handling of the William Saliba situation, I think you have to say, if he comes back and performs and slots in, you know, there will be some that will go, well, look how bloody good he is. I can't believe that we had this guy out on loan. I can't believe that we didn't have this guy in and around the club sooner. But I think if you think about it in your heart of hearts and if you really are fair and and pragmatic about it and take your hat off, whatever that hat might be, Arteta out, Arteta in, actually sending him out on loan to a place where he was going to play every single week at a club where there's huge pressure, which mirrors the environment as closely as possible to the environment he'll be at at Arsenal. Not the best team in the league, but a team where there's huge pressure to perform week in, week out. Opportunity to play European football, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He'll come back a better player for it. I'm sure of that. And and the next move now is is how Arsenal integrate him. I think the first half of it, in terms of how they've handled him, it was questionable at the time. But I think in hindsight, it's it's been a good thing. I think they've done the right thing by allowing him to get that football and and get that experience and continue his development. But now it's about the reintegration. And that's what I'll really be looking at, Mikel Arteta and the club out here, because we talk a lot, don't we, about the, the issues that we seem to see with man management and the fact that we have struggled in that department with a few players over the years. I think if we see Arsenal reintegrate William Saliba to good effect, then I think that you've got to say that it would be a masterstroke and it would be a really smart move. And and again, as I keep saying, I've said it a lot of times over the last few days, often this club's wins are not built on decisions that the fans would make. Sometimes we sit here and we say, no, that's wrong. What are you doing? You haven't got a clue. I know better. That's not always the case. And I think if Saliba comes back a much more experienced, a much more complete centre-half and can force his way into the reckoning and be in and around the first-team squad, be competing for two positions with Ben White and Gabriel and, of course, Rob Holding, who's around the club at the moment as well, then I think we're in a good position and we're in a good state. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do when he returns. Uh, Just wanted to quickly touch on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's comments because, uh, as I discussed yesterday on, on Lee Judges TV, I think a lot has been made of this when actually he didn't really say all that much. And I think that's the kind of common thing now. You know, you you scroll through social media, you scroll through various news sites and the headlines are Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang slams Mikel Arteta when actually that's not what he did. He didn't do that at all. He said he had an an issue with Mikel Arteta, basically that Mikel Arteta's issue was, was with him and that the issue was between he and Mikel Arteta as opposed to he and Josh Kroenke or he and Edu, et cetera, et cetera. And that was that. And I think we're getting too caught up in Aubameyang and what the comments are. I've said it before. I think him moving on was something that needed to happen, was something that was waiting to happen. And we've managed to do it at a time uh, that I think, although it leaves us a little bit short in the striking department, I think when you consider his contract situation, you consider the fact that he wasn't going to play, I think we've done quite a good job of moving him on. Uh, said to you guys on the last episode, I think it was, that the uh, I think it was the Times had reported that it was going to be seven or eight million pounds uh, cost to Arsenal to move him on. Now, the Athletic have since come out and said that his wages will be split between Arsenal and Barcelona until the end of the season. And then Barca will take on uh, his uh, his full wage packet, which is going to be lower than what he was on at Arsenal. So I'm I'm not sure if 
those figures that we got from the times, the seven, eight million pound is still accurate. I think the athletic didn't say that those figures were incorrect, but what they did was shed a little bit more light on how that arrangement exactly is going to work. So uh, that's where we are on that. Uh, just wanted to uh, quickly touch on a report that came out a couple of days ago now, but I haven't done a podcast since from the Suns, Mark Irwin, who says Arsenal are planning the biggest spending spree in their history with up to £180 million budgeted for summer signings. Alexander Isak, Calvert-Lewin and Ruben Neves. Look, I, I'd like those players. If we got two of those, you know, I'd take Isak and, and Neves. I'm not a massive Calvert-Lewin fan. I think he can do a job, but I don't know if his ceiling is quite as high as I've said to you guys before. But if we could get a couple of players in there, that would be great, wouldn't it? And it would really help in terms of pushing forward and in terms of the rebuild. Uh, let's see, what else uh, have I got on my uh, little page of notes to talk about? Let's talk about Alexander Lacazette. And uh, it emerged the other day, or a report emerged, that Leon and Jean-Michel Alas, the uh, Leon president, who's always very vocal about what he wants to do in the transfer market, has come out and said that Leon are planning to try and buy Alexander Lacazette. I say buy I mean, sign. Uh, they want to take Alexander Lacazette on at the end of the season and that his mind is already made up. He will return to France. Look, as far as Arsenal are concerned, I expect there to be a short-term offer on the table. I really do. I think that he's earned himself enough goodwill uh, within the club's current setup. And I'm talking about Mikel Arteta. I'm talking about Edu. And I'm talking about how he's impacted on some of the youngsters to warrant being offered a short-term deal. But what I'm not sure of is whether or not he'll accept that. I think he'll look at the landscape. I think he'll look at what's out there. And I think he'll probably feel that if he can get a two, three year deal at somewhere like Leon, that would be much more uh, beneficial to him, uh, given that he's 30 years old. And I think that that will be, um, you know, probably the right move for him. So I think that he will probably get offered the deal, as I say, but I'm not 100% sure he'll take it. I think he'll probably want to return home. And I don't blame him because his role at Arsenal, if we do go out and bring in an Isak or a Calvert-Lewin, is obviously going to be very, very different to what it is today, where he is very much the focal point and he is very much the main man. Let's just hope he can fire us back into the Champions League. Uh, just want to say... Um, just want to say a big thank you to everybody who's live with us right now because there's nearly 300 of you watching us across the multiple platforms. If you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. Uh, I'd really, really appreciate it. Uh, we've only got 59 likes on the board. We should get that up to around about as 100 as quick as possible. We're also um, edging closer towards 19,000 subscribers here on the YouTube channel. So if you're not subscribed, please do think about it. I'd really, really appreciate it. Um, I'll take some of your questions in a moment. So if you've got questions, hold fire on them so that they don't get lost in the chat and we'll come back to those in a minute. But as mentioned at the top of the show, I just wanted to get you guys thoughts um, on some of uh, the ideas and some of the thoughts I've been having around the podcast of late. So as you know, we try or I try where possible to bring you guys two live streams a day. Now, that doesn't always materialize. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. And unfortunately, that's due to work commitments. That's because I get sucked into different bits and pieces and I don't always have the time to make that happen. I want to make sure and I want to commit to getting out two bits of content to you at least five days a week. 
But in order to do that, I've been thinking about how I can make that happen. And I probably need to switch the format up a little bit. Now, what I mean by that is we're still going to have the main full podcast, right, which is on a daily basis at 5 p.m. as long as nothing gets in the way, uh, Monday to Friday. And obviously on a Saturday or Sunday, depending on when we play, we're going to bring you the review and any analysis that or any big news, any big stories that come off the back of that. So what I was thinking to commit to is podcast 5 p.m. every weekday and one at the weekend when Arsenal are playing so that we can review that game. And that time will obviously vary depending on when it is uh, that we end up um you know, we end up playing and, and when I get back from the game, et cetera, et cetera. What I also want to do, though, is instead of the midday streams where we are bringing you um, a stream that in a lot of ways we kind of go over some of the same stuff that we do in the evening stream. I wanted to bring you what I'm going to call short form content. And when I say short form, I mean within 20 minutes. I want to bring you guys content specific to certain stories and certain subjects that are pre-recorded, edited in a better way, and then save the Q&A bits and all of that stuff and all the interactive stuff, which is fantastic, for later on when we do the live stream. And I'll extend those streams if I have to in terms of how long they go on for so that we can get all of those questions and so we can get all of your thoughts in as well. So I want to bring you um, midday content as well. But some of that might be slightly shorter form and some of it might be pre-recorded in order to make sure that I can commit to that. But the long form podcast that comes to you every day uh, about 5 p.m., that is going to stay. That's not going to change. Now, I'm really, really interested to hear you guys' thoughts on that because it really is important to me what you guys think. It's a way in which I am more able to commit to bringing you two bits of content a day. Because if I've got something on the next day and I know that in advance, I can I can make something to go out. I can put something together to go out during the midday slot without it being, oh, shit, work's come up. Now I can't do it. So I want to be able to plan a little bit further ahead because I don't do that very well at the moment. I don't make the best use of my time. And I know that. And now with things starting to open up again, for example, yesterday, wanted to bring you guys a lunchtime stream. Couldn't do it because I was on TalkSport in the afternoon, but obviously I need time to get there and to get back from there. So I'm going to bring you two shows a day, but on the odd occasion, the 12 o'clock one, uh, 12.30 one, will be pre-recorded so that I can commit to getting that out every single day. Also, the member stream is going to happen on a weekly basis, but we're also going to introduce another bit of members content because we haven't done this anywhere near enough. And I know that. And I'm, you know, I hold my hands up. It's not been good enough. But we want to do the members mailbag. I want to create a separate channel on our Discord server, aside from the general discussion that we have, where you guys, um, where you guys can pop in questions throughout the week that come to mind. And we will do a members mailbag show where it's exclusive to members. And I will only talk about what you guys want me to talk about. And I'll only answer the questions that you guys put. So I've been around the houses a little bit, but let me just summarize and give me a thumbs up in the chat if you agree and a thumbs down if you disagree. We're going to keep with the long form podcast in the evenings. The 5 p.m. show will be coming to you every single weekday. 
plus one at the weekends. There'll obviously be ad hoc stuff in there and in between as well. If a big story breaks, I'm not just going to leave you hanging. We're going to do it. But as far as the 1230 show goes, it will be slightly shorter form and it will at times be pre-recorded to ensure that I can make sure that I always get it out to you without anything getting in the way. Lots of thumbs up in the comments, which is great. That's what I want to see. Uh, but I also want feedback as well. So if you don't think it will work or you don't like it, or it might make you feel that the membership is not uh, is, is not the right thing for you, then, then please let me know because I want to make sure uh, that I can do as much as possible. Um, Afsar says a fixed time would be good uh, as YouTube doesn't send notifications. You know, I don't really know why that is, because sometimes it happens to me with certain channels that I'm subscribed to. Sometimes I get the notifications and at other times I don't. And I could not for the life of me um, tell you why. But it is a it is an issue. Um, and I don't know really how to fix it. Is your bell icon turned on? Please uh, check that. Make sure that is. And hopefully uh, that will um, that will resolve stuff. Okay, let's take some of your questions. Let's take some of your thoughts. Uh, let's see uh, what you guys uh, have to say, uh, what you guys want to talk about for the remainder of the show. We've got around about uh, 20 or so minutes left. Um, Alex with a thumbs down. He says, you're going to ruin my lunch break. Do what you want, Harry. I'll be tuning in as much as I can anyway. I promise you, you will have content to consume during your lunch break. But sometimes um, I might not be able to do it live just depending on work commitments. Uh, David Fox says, uh, don't clash with Corey. <laughs> Love that. Um, here we go. Let's take this one from Anthony, who says, what do you think about the Saka to Liverpool and City rumours? Well, look, I think for me, um, when it comes to Bukayo Saka, look, when you've got a quality footballer and you've got a quality player, it's only natural that there's going to be interest. And it's only natural that the best teams are going to be interested. And those two teams have been the best teams in the Premier League for quite some time now and by quite some distance. So I'm not surprised that he's being linked. And I'm also quite positive about that. The fact that Arsenal appear to be trying to, uh, you know, initiate talks over a contract and initiate talks over a further extension, despite him signing one not that long ago in order to protect themselves against this interest in order to protect themselves from having their key players picked from under their noses. And so I'm really, really, um, you know, hopeful that Arsenal have learned their lessons in this regard. But ultimately, the fact is, Anthony, that only Arsenal can control whether we lose these players. And, and Lee Judges said something last night on the show that we did, and it was absolutely spot on. You know, we were talking about maybe the need for patience and the need for an understanding of what Arsenal's structure is and how it's supposed to work. And the fact that we are building a team around these young, talented players and hoping that they'll all click together and that will be our key to success. But he said, all of that means nothing if the Kroenke sell somebody like Bukayo Saka. If an offer comes in that is so substantial that KSE go, no, got to sell him, then that will make a mockery of this strategy, wouldn't it? And that will be the time where they will come under incredible scrutiny. And I completely agreed with that. So I think, but I do think this for me though, I do think that if you want to keep someone like Bukayo Saka, you have to match his ambition as a football club. You have to keep improving, keep progressing. You have to keep showing him that this is the right environment for him to develop and improve. And that eventually he'll be able to win the game's biggest honours at. 
because that's what the best players want to do. They want to win the game's biggest honours. And and that's something that right now I don't think we're at, you know, we're anywhere near. And that's worrying and that's concerning. And that interest from other clubs is going to come around from time to time. We have to do our utmost. Hope that his emotional connection to the club will be enough, but also that we can deliver on what he wants in order to to keep him and to keep him happy first and foremost. Let's see what else we got in the chat. Let's take this one from Luke Williams. Uh, would you rather spend most of the £180 million rumoured budget on Erling Haaland and one other player or spend it on three or four different players? Interesting. You know, obviously you want the best players. You want the Erling Haaland's of the world. But I think it's going to be at, just going back to what I was saying about competing at the highest level and for the game's biggest honours and biggest trophies. I think it'll be incredibly difficult to convince him, even if it's doable financially, that this is the place for him. Um, and so I think that it's important we build and it's important that we add depth because we've just been talking about how thin this squad is and how much of a problem that could pose us later on in the season. So I think that you, you probably got to look at building the team. Um, but obviously, look, if it's doable, you want the world's best players, don't you? Uh, big hello to Yorgos, who joins us from Cyprus. He says uh, two things. First, Leicester won the league with a short squad. They did indeed, but they were very fortunate that they didn't pick up too many significant injuries. And they were very fortunate that they weren't participating in any other competitions. And in a lot of ways, uh, that was uh, that was their saving grace. But you're, you're right. It's not impossible. And he says, second, uh, I've got a feeling that Pepe will be tried up top. This is really interesting because a lot of people have been discussing this of late. And I'm not of the opinion that Nicolas Pepe is a centre forward or that he can even play there. I think the key to getting the best out of Nicolas Pepe is is to give him freedom. And that freedom is not there in Mikel Arteta's team as a centre-forward. Because Mikel Arteta's centre-forwards have a very, very specific role. And that's a lot of the reason why, in my opinion, the Aubameyang thing went south. Because not only is there issues with his attitude and was there issues with his timekeeping and various other disciplinary matters, tactically, Arsenal had been evolving away from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang for quite some time. And that was because the role is so specific. The, the set of expectations that Mikel Arteta and his coaching staff have of the centre-forward is, is, is clear. It's listed. It's there for everybody to see and understand. And if you're not going to adhere to that, if you're not going to do what it says on this mandate, if you like, this imaginary striker mandate that Mikel Arteta has, then you're not going to succeed and you're not going to tick the boxes for him. And I don't think that Nicola Pepe is the right man to do that either. I think that he is somebody that thrives on freedom. He needs to be able to drift into different areas of the pitch. He needs to be able to start predominantly from the right-hand side and have that ability to cut in on his stronger left foot without having a defensive duty. And I think with Takahiro Tomiyasu at right-back, who's much more defensively secure than full-backs we've had in years gone by, I think he can do that. The other thing, though, is, you know, how do you give him that role without taking it away from Bukayo Saka, who's been wonderful? And that's a problem. That's a difficulty. But I just think the key to getting the best out of Nicolas Pepe, who I agree is going to be very important in what's left of the season, is to give him that freedom and allow him to roam around into different areas and, and play without shackles. I think that's so, so important. I did read yesterday 
Uh, I think it was Kaya Kainak who put out a piece uh, from Football.London. Uh, Kaya has been on the show as well, wonderful journalist, um, about the fact that Martinelli has been training up there. And a lot of us have talked about this in the past. And while I still think that Martinelli today, his best position is, is from the left-hand side, I do think, and I've said this before, he has the attributes to be a very good and very effective centre-forward. But as Adrian Clark pointed out on the show we did the other day, he is more similar to Aubameyang as a centre-forward, you would think, than he is to Lacazette. And that would mean kind of going back to having a centre-forward that wants to play off the shoulder, that wants to run in behind. And I think that is um, that is the, the, the mixed bit or the mixed message that I'm getting from Mikel Arteta. Well, on the one hand, you're telling me this is what you want from your centre-forward. That's why Lacazette is so much more suited than Aubameyang. And on the other hand, you're telling me that you're getting Martinelli ready to do that role. Unless Martinelli's game is going to dramatically change. I don't really see him dropping into the midfield, making up numbers, winning balls back and vacating spaces for other people to drift into. He's the guy that should be drifting into those spaces. I'm not necessarily sure he's the man who should be creating them. But there we go. Uh, let's see uh, what else uh, we've got. Uh, lots of thumbs up and lots of kind comments with regards to the comment. Thank you uh, all uh, so, so much, guys. Uh, really, really do uh, appreciate it. Um, this is an interesting question from Alex. Which of White or Gabrielle should be more worried by Saliba coming home? Interesting question. Um, but this is the thing. Right? Listen, I think White and Gabrielle are both very, very good. I think Gabrielle, for me, goes through phases. He goes through phases where he's unbelievably good. And then phases where he's not bad, but he's not quite at the same level. And you can see that quite evidently. And I think he's suffered that a little bit lately. So I don't really know the answer to this because it's a really difficult question. But what is good about the fact that he'd be coming back and both of their positions would be at stake and both of them would have to be looking over their shoulders is that element of competition. And it's an element of competition that we haven't had for a long, long time in a lot of positions. So again, just a sign, isn't it, that we're moving in the right direction in that sense. Uh, some blokes, <laughs> I always laugh every time I see his name, colleague. Uh, with the squad clear out almost done, how important is it for Arsenal to get the buys in quickly this summer? Yeah, you, you want to do them as quickly as you possibly can. And, and as I said, one of the advantages of getting Aubameyang out when we did is that we now move into the summer without having to worry about that, without having to spend time and resource on trying to put together an exit strategy. And now we're in a place where instead we get to um, you know, we get to focus on uh, on how we can improve the team as opposed to moving out of Deadwood. And as I said on TalkSport yesterday, I was asked the question, is the, is the clear out done? I said, no. And the, the follow-up question was, well, how much of it is, still needs doing? And my answer was, well, most of it's been done. I think a lot of it's been done. And I do feel like that. And that obviously makes it easier to bring in players. Uh, Chris Carrick says, what do you think about a back three formation? And would we need an alternative to Tommy Asu in that case? Yeah, um, I, I think that it's clear that Mikel Arteta's preferred formation is not a back three. I think that in years gone by, he switched to that um, or, or opted for that because he probably didn't have enough trust and faith in the central defensive options that he had at his disposal. I think since he's got his own men, it's been quite clear that he prefers a four but Tommy Asu's signing obviously was a smart one in the sense of 
Not that he's just a good right back, but he can play as a centre back and has played as a centre back for a lot of his career. So I actually think that that's a good option. It gives us flexibility, tactical flexibility. Um, but yeah, if we are looking at that, then yeah, you need to you need to look at what's going on in the right back position because I'm not convinced that Cedric is the man. And and I do think that one of Arsenal's next bits of recruitment will be to identify somebody like Tavares. But for the right, and what I mean by somebody like Tavares is somebody who is still a little bit raw, can be bought for a relatively reasonable price, who has the potential to go on and would be quite content with being an understudy at this point. I think that's what Nuno Tavares is. He'll have aspirations and obviously in the future, he'll be hoping to either nail down that spot for himself, be competing with it for Kieran Tierney. And if he doesn't, he'll probably look to move on. But then in that case, a guy that you bought for seven, eight million pound, you can sell him for 15, 20 million pound because he's shown himself to be a good player. So I think that, you know, that's the type of buy that Arsenal will probably be looking at now in the right back area because somebody like Cedric, I can't believe that he is someone that Arsenal want to keep around for a long, long time. Let's see what else we got. Uh, Inter Yanan says, uh, why are football fans like accountants nowadays? I think it's probably because football fans are trying to make sense of what's going on in the transfer market all the time. I think I think back to when I first started watching football and the transfer market wasn't even really a thing. You could buy players when you wanted, you could sell players when you wanted, barring what, a, a, a period towards the end of the season. I think it was after Easter or something like that. But I think nowadays there's so much clamour online and there's so much false reporting and there's so much noise around signings, around uh, teams' financial states. And I think what's happened is, as football fans, we've become more educated. Why? Because there's more information out there. And the more information you get, the more analytical you get, and the more you try and build your cases and arguments around certain things off the back of that information. And money is a big thing in football. Right. There's no coincidence that there's a direct correlation between normally the team that spends the most money and the team that wins the Premier League. The teams that win the Champions League are often the teams who go biggest in the transfer market. That's not always the case. There are anomalies to that, of course. But if you think about when Manchester United were dominant in the Premier League, why were they dominant? Well, because every summer they could look at the Premier League. They could work out who the best players were. Uh, at other clubs and they could go out and say, here's 30 million pounds, which was a lot of money back then for Wayne Rooney. Here's 30 million pounds for Rio Ferdinand. You know, they took Dimitar Berbatov there as well from Tottenham. You know, it's, that money thing is, is, is massive. And I think that's why people put so much focus on it. Uh, my high goodness is, are we relieved to not be worried about Joe Rogan ruining Arsenal's transfer kitty. <laughs> uh, Joe Rogan, obviously, um, in some controversy with Spotify, if I'm not mistaken. I don't really know who, uh, the ins and outs of that, but I have read the story. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, Chris Carrick says, do you think our lean squad will help improve cohesion and closeness among the players? Yeah, I touched on that a little bit earlier on. I do think that it helps. I do think that when you've got less people... Um, who are kind of standing on the sidelines and watching on, feeling detached. 
then the spirit will be better because everybody's engaged in the project and everybody's engaged in what you're doing and how you're moving forward. So I think that's key. Yeah. Um, look, there are obviously massive drawbacks to that. So I don't want people to think that I'm masking the fact that this squad is paper thin by pretending that it's what we should want or should be hoping for. I'm just trying to see the advantages to it. And there are some advantages, but clearly there are disadvantages as well. Okay, we're going to work through uh, a few more of your comments uh, in the live chat box. But before we do that, I just want to remind you all, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button because uh, we have over 500 of you with us right now across the multiple platforms, just 122 likes on the board. We'd love to hit 19,000 subscribers ASAP. I think just before we started the stream, we were around about uh, 200 odd away from that. So if you could subscribe to the channel, it would be very, very much appreciated. Uh, Hardik Sharma says, Harry's background has more photos and colors today. Yeah, I've been working on it. This is what I wanted to do when I put up this um, this background. I, I had these photos and I've still got some more. I've got an Ian Wright one lifting the 179 shirt when he broke the goal record at Arsenal. I've got a Burkamp one sliding on his knees. I've got a Patrick Vieira. I've got one of Arsenal celebrating the league win at Old Trafford um, with Patrick Vieira. It's got Ashley Cole in it, which is why I didn't want to put it on there. Uh, and I've also got one of uh, Thierry Henry in the San Siro. So I've got loads of them around the room uh, and I might even rotate them on the wall behind me. But yeah, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, just finally got around to actually doing something with it. Let's see what else we have in the chat box. Um, as Wes Bird says, smash the like button, Gunas. Please uh, support Harry. Thank you so much. Uh, big hello to you guys out there. Um, D Terminix says, uh, hey, been asking my question for a while. What was your question, mate? Just drop it back in and I'll keep an eye out for it because the chat updates so quickly. I do miss things. I do apologize. Uh, Danny Vater says, how highly do you prioritize replacing Xhaka? after fixing our striker situation, of course. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, I've always said that I don't think Jack is as big a problem as some people would have you believe. Um, you know, he does have his faults and he does let us down from time to time on the pitch in terms of the way he goes into stupid challenges and gets himself sent off, etc., etc. But I think the big concern for me about Granit Xhaka right now is, is not that, you know, that is a problem, but it's not the problem for me. The problem is the style of football that we're playing involves a lot of high energy, a lot of aggressive pressing. And as I've always said, I don't think that that's his game. And I think sometimes when I see him pressing really high up the pitch and trying to squeeze the opponent into their defensive third, I feel uneasy watching it because it's just not his game. He, for me, is at his best when he's sitting in front of the back four and he's trying to dictate play and get moves going from there. Because I think He's pretty good on the ball, technically, in terms of picking people out. Brilliant cross-field passer, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the problem is when you turn him and when you get him running back towards his own goal. And obviously, the closer he is to his goal, the more likely he's to be on the goal side of the attacker. And that's where I worry less. So, yeah, I think it is a, it is probably something we need to look at, definitely. Um, I think Ruben Neves would be the right man for that. I've said that before. I said it last summer because I think he brings a lot of the stability and qualities that Xhaka does bring to the table without the madness and and without the kind of problem getting across the ground. Let's see what else we got. Um, D Terminix, here's the question. He says, what is the problem with Saliba? 
And is it good to put so much trust in a manager? A lot of players have been exiled in Arteta's reign. I don't think there is a problem with Saliba. I just think that Arsenal didn't think he was ready. And I, I think the way they handled it, and I've gone on record as saying this at the time, was poor. The fact that they didn't register him and that they left him out in the cold for half a season was unacceptable. That was a real fuck up. Excuse my language. Um, from Arsenal. There's no doubt about that. And obviously that caused fractures in the relationship between the player and the club and the manager. And I get that. And I agree with that. And I understand 100% why William Saliba was frustrated by that. But as I said earlier on in the show, if he does come back and does force his way into the team and is reintegrated in the right way, I think that move to Marseille could be a blessing in disguise. I think that move to Marseille will have turned him from a boy into a man. And I think that there were always uh, people who were excited by his talent and excited by what he could bring to the table. But I think when you watched him closely, and I did a few times last season, you could see naiveties in his game. You could see immaturities and you could see flaws. And I think playing, as I keep saying, at a club with much higher expectation, like Marseille, where the pressure of the fans is immense, where you're expected to deliver week in, week out, will do him the world of good because it's as close to a mirror of this environment as he's going to get back in his home country, back where he's comfortable. So, yeah. Uh, let's move uh, through the chat box a little bit further. Let's see what else you guys uh, are saying. Have we hit our 150 likes target yet? Nope, we're still 11 away. Come on, guys. Hit the like button. Doesn't cost a thing. Thank you. Uh, if you want to become a member as well uh, and take part in our member streams as well as get access to our members mailbag, uh, which is coming up uh, very, very soon. And please do uh, get involved. Uh, Pavel Andreev says that can't subscribe twice, Harry. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you could make another account and subscribe. No, I'm just joking. Uh, just joking. Uh, let's see what we got. Uh, Rowan says, uh, do you think that we will get a big transfer budget in the summer? Well, according to reports from The Sun, Arsenal are planning to invest. But I think, look, we went into this window clearly willing to spend money if the right player was available and clearly willing to spend money if we felt that we could improve the team immediately or acquire a target who was going to stand us in really, really good stead um, moving forward, who was going to play a big role, at least in the club's eyes, moving forward. So there is money there, right? The club are willing to make money available, clearly. But we didn't see an opportunity that really tickled our fancy. And Again, although it was frustrating and although immediately after the deadline shut, there was a lot of uh, frustration kind of floating around about it. It's probably been the right call. It's, it's probably the right decision. And I'll stick by that. Even if Lacazette were to get injured, I still don't think that we should have bowed to Real Sociedad's demands and paid 90 million euros for Alexander Isak. You know, and I, I, that's my big fear about the lack of activity this window, that people will be putting it in their back pockets and waiting to kind of pull it out when Arsenal inevitably suffer some kind of injury um, or whatever. But let's see. Uh, Wale says, uh, Harry, I really appreciate your balanced and thoughtful comments. Very refreshing in this crazy world of Arsenal coverage. Thank you so, so much. Uh, Dana says, hey, Harry, new member here. Glad to join you guys. Dana, welcome. Welcome to the Chronicles of the Guna family. And thank you for signing up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Craig Barlow says uh, regarding the January window, is Edu more at fault than Arteta? That's Edu's job recruiting players. I'm not sure you can say it's Edu's fault because the budget is not dictated by Edu. The budget is dictated by the club's owners and the club's board. And they will obviously um, specify what the club can spend 
And then it's down to Mikel Arteta and Edu to make sure that they spend it wisely and on the right people. So I don't think that you can say, first of all, I don't think this window was as big a cock up as everybody wants to make it out to be. And I think there's this huge narrative from outside of Arsenal that has almost seeped into the fan base as well about what a disastrous window this was this has been. And I know because any media I've done in the last week since the window closed, the first question people have asked me is, well, what did you make of Arsenal's window? It was shocking, wasn't it? Well, it wasn't ideal. It wasn't great, but it certainly wasn't shocking. What was shocking? That we didn't go and break the bank and bring somebody in who isn't fit for purpose and overpaid and then been stuck with them for the next two years. And then everybody's going to be talking a couple of years down the line about how Arsenal let another player walk out the door for free. Is that what's shocking? You know, I I don't get it. I, I don't get what people want. I think... As I've said to you guys before, a lot of this stems from what happened with the North London derby. You do know that. The fact that we cancelled a game or requested a postponement of a fixture, regardless of the fact that everybody else done it, because for some reason that that was overlooked by uh, the lovely media. But the fact that we did that and then still allowed players to go drove this kind of narrative. Well, hold on a minute. How on earth can Arsenal get a game postponed when they're allowing players to leave left, right and centre? And that, for me, caused a meltdown and, a, and an agenda towards Arsenal in the wider media that, unfortunately, because a lot of fans are not feeling positive about where we are and are not feeling positive about the manager and feeling quite downbeat about the January we just had in terms of on the pitch, I think that has seeped into sections of the fan base. And I'm hearing Arsenal fans throw at me stuff that I've heard from the TV, stuff that I've heard from other people, and it drives me mad. Back your team. Support your club. Be critical of your club, but make it constructive. But do not jump on the media's hype train of always trying to kick Arsenal when we're down. And you know why we do it? Or Sorry, you know why they do it? Because they always get a reaction out of the Arsenal fan base. Because we are massive. We've got a huge following. We attract lots of attention. And every time they poke the bear, the reaction goes mad. And that is what media companies are in it for. Clicks, views, Revenue comes off the back of that. That is what they are looking for. So don't rise to it. Don't rise to it. Because a lot of this agenda and a lot of this narrative around it being a disaster of a window, it comes from outside. And we've allowed it to breach us within. And it, it it's not the way. Anyway, cool. Uh, Going to leave it there because we've been going uh, for nearly an hour. Um it's been um, it's been great chatting to you guys, as always. Thank you for your feedback. And if you are watching this back or listening to this back, please get in touch either at chroniclesafc at gmail.com or in the comments section below if you're watching us on YouTube. Please let me know what you think of the new content plan. So just to reiterate that, just to run it through with you guys one more time uh, in case you've joined us late, the daily shows will remain. We'll be bringing you a live full-length podcast every single day. I want to be bringing you two. I want to be bringing you the midday shows as well. But unfortunately, sometimes due to work commitments, that's going to be a problem. So what I want to be able to do is pre-record content to go out in those midday slots. So they may be 15, 20 minute videos on specific subjects on whatever's hot that day, whatever's hot the day before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'd really, really appreciate your engagement uh, and your support on those so that we can continue to put out as much content as possible 
over the course of the week. We'll be bringing you match reaction shows, of course, as we always do over the weekends, depending on when it is that Arsenal play. And for members, as well as our weekly members stream, we will be bringing you the members mailbag. So if you are a member, I'm going to be setting up a separate Discord channel within our server that you can go on and drop questions in throughout the week. And I'll work my way through those uh, on the members mailbag shows, which are exclusively available to members only. Uh, okay, we're going to leave it there. I'll leave you all to it. Um, might take a day off tomorrow, just depending on what happens. That's Saturday. Um, I'm on live commentary for the Premier League Classic between Burnley and, and Watford uh, at 6pm. If you'd like to join me, you can find the link uh, on my Twitter page and you can find it the, the commentary, of course, via Flash Score. Uh, so please do come over and join me. Lots of you uh, tuned into my Celtic commentary the other day, which was fantastic. Um, lots of great feedback and great to hear from so many of you who took some time to jump in and hear how it sounded. So, yeah, Burnley Watford for me uh, tomorrow. And then, of course, uh, back to the real world. But until next time, take care of yourselves. Have a great weekend. All the best. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.